Good morning, BC. I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, I'm Dan Ware. I'm one of the deacons, MC leader at BC. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Amos uh, 3 through 4. And since the kids are in here, we're going to start uh, with a little sermon for them. So kids, can you raise your hand for me? All right. Now, I want you guys to, we're going to imagine something together, okay? So I want you to think of something that if you got a thing or an experience or even like a pet, so like a vacation or something, that would be awesome. Like what would be a really awesome thing to be able to do or have? Any ideas? What you got? Anybody? What would be awesome? Marshall. Something that you didn't even say and it's already there. Yeah, great. What you got? Swimming in October. All right. What you got? More Nintendo Switches? Four. All right. We got one more here. What you got? Yeah. All the TV you wanted to watch and be lazy? All right. Okay. Now, imagine that one day somebody shows up and they, they just give you that thing. You get four switches with the thing that you were, weren't even saying, right? They just give it to you. How would that make you feel? What do you think about that? What do you think, Eleanor? Be excited. Marshall? Make you feel like a superhero? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you'd be proud of it. You'd want to show all your friends. Um, now, imagine another thing, okay? You've been given this thing, but then you find out that the person that gave it to you stole it in order to give it to you. They stole it from a helpless baby, right? <laughs> A poor baby that didn't have anything else, okay? How would you feel then? What, what, what do you think, guys? Marshall? Be sad, Eleanor? You feel guilty, and you want to give it back. Yep. So something you might want to do in response to that would be to give it back. You'd want to make it right. Yeah. So... Um, you would see that the thing that you thought was so great actually represented harm and injustice that had been done to somebody else, right? So in today's passage, God tells his people that they're guilty of something very similar to that. They, felt they were very wealthy. They had a lot of things. They were very confident in their position, and they were very at ease. They were lazy and in their luxury. And God tells them that they're... Because they're in that position doesn't mean that they're right, that they're doing the right things, that they've actually been stealing from uh, the poor and the helpless, and they have been unjust. So uh, God is warning them that if they don't change their ways he, and start looking for ways to actually help people instead of steal from them, then they will face punishment. And without Jesus, we are like those people 
and, and that God is speaking to. We live only for ourselves, and we don't look for ways to serve other people. But God calls us to believe in Jesus so that he can change our hearts and make us more like him, where we do want to serve people. So we okay, one more thing to imagine, kids, okay? I want you to think about in your bedroom, your pillow. What does your pillow look like, okay? Anybody got the color of their pillow? Eleanor. Bronze. Cool. So imagine your pillow, okay? Now, tonight, when you go to bed and you see your pillow, think, I'm supposed to do something. I'm supposed to ask my parents something, okay? Ask them uh, ways that your parents have seen God change them from people who take from others to people who want to give to others and serve others, all right? So that's your thing to, okay, pillow, ask parents, pillow, ask parents. All right. Thank you, kids. Now that we have a context of the sermon this morning, uh, Nathan is going to come read it for us. Uh, This is Amos chapter 3. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring you down. Your defenses from you and your stronghold shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and a part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you, when there were yet three months to the harvest. 
I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you uh, don't leave us to ourselves to, to wonder what your laws are, what your way is, what justice is, that you've spoken through your word, through prophets, through chosen representatives, and ultimately through Jesus. Pray that your word would do its work today. We know that it doesn't return void. Pray that it would fall on ears that hear today, that your spirit would help us to receive them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Amos 3, 4, my summary statement, I would say, I've got a slide for it, um, is the Lord's justice and our required response to him stands regardless of our perception and circumstances. So God is just, right, and he will punish sin, both inside and outside Israel. Like Dan said last week, that was the kind of the conclusion that he had. And our job is to hear what he says about himself and about us and to test whether we agree with what he says is right and what he requires of us in our thoughts and in our actions. So verse 1-2, Amos confirms that Israel really is a special people, chosen. It says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken to you, against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So Israel belongs to God. They're his special people. And you could see here a kind of a metaphor. Think of a metaphor of a parent who loves their kid and disciplines their kid they loves. God loves the, what, what is the word? Disciplines those he loves. But what we also see here is that Amos has a knack for taking ideas that the people would have understood in their kind of everyday context, and then he flips that on its head to be shocking and unexpected. So, for example, how, would, how do you think Israel would have filled out this, this blank? You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will bless. Yeah. That they probably have heard this exact line multiple times, but he says, I will actually do the opposite. I will punish you. So Amos is showing God's continued care for the people of Israel. 
but also using unexpected language to kind of shake them out of their, um, their assumptions, their wrong assumptions. So this judgment, this pronouncement of punishment would have been a surprise to them, something they wouldn't have expected. And so he kind of moves to prove that he, these are the words of God, that he really is a prophet. And so we get to verses 3 through 6, uh, which is a list of questions. It's a cause and effect questions, and the answer, the assumed answer is no. For, for verses 3 through 5, I have a different translation that's a little easier to understand the questions. Do two walk together if they do not agree? Does a lion roar from the bush when there is no prey? So the answer is no. Does a young lion raise his voice from his hiding place if he captures nothing? No. Does a bird swoop down on a trap on the ground when there's no lure? No. Does a trap spring up from the ground if it actually captures nothing? No. So we can see the cause and effect. There's no unity without agreement, no roar without something to roar about, and no capture without something being captured. So we move to verse 6, which is closer to the point of what he's getting at. Is the trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? No. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? This one, the, the response doesn't come as quickly as I read it. Uh, yeah, I get, yeah. I mean, no. The answer is no. Um, this is another startling expression, startling moment for his hearers and for us, I think. God, God is the one who brings disaster, which is a thing that Israel would have celebrated on other nations. God's doing it on other nations as we looked at last week. But a fearful thing, kind of a shocking and terrifying thing to hear that it's against us, against Israel. Verse 7, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? So in essence, he's saying, this really is the word of the Lord. I really am a prophet. And the lion of Israel, God, is roaring and he's ready to pounce on his prey. Destruction, disaster is coming. This is an immediate warning. God is going to act. And this is not, can't be explained away as an act of nature or uh, another nation autonomously just coming and doing whatever they, they have decided to do. This is God bringing the disaster. And he is, in fact, a prophet. Um, so he's, he's talking about the words that he's saying are coming from God, declaring and warning he's a prophet. But he also calls other nations that God had previously judged to be witnesses and to also agree with the, the pronouncement. Um, it says, two nations, so verse 9 through 11 is an accusation of injustice and then a pronouncement of punishment for that injustice. Uh, verse 9, proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and say to the strongholds in the land of Egypt, uh, say, assemble yourselves on the, day, on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. So tumults can also be rendered astonishing things. So this is implying that Ashdod and Egypt, you know, two nations that God had judged, pronounced judgment on, 
for the same things that Israel is now doing, um, are astonished at what's happening in Israel. So he's calling out outside witnesses to see what he sees. He's inviting his people to see what's happening from his perspective. Chapter 4, as we'll get to, God declares that he also knows the thoughts of man. So the oppression that they were doing, the injustice, may have been hidden or they may have been excusing it away, but God sees it. And he invites them to understand the cause of their impending, the consequences of their injustice, instead of just doing it without any explanation. I mean, this is, this is a mercy. Um, proclamation of judgment um, is a, it's a pattern that God has. You know, we have all of these uh, minor prophets who bring warning to God's people. And so, but he doesn't just do it and then it happens. He also calls them, it's a warning, like, turn from your ways. So within the prophecy of judgment, the, the impending destruction, there's, there is mercy. There's a, a threat of mercy because he's also um, implying that there's a certain, a certain response that may uh, divert the destruction. So that's something I want to kind of hold in our minds as we go on. So this is the pronouncement of judgment. This is what the lion is roaring. Uh, Verse 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. So... The word rescue here, so the shepherd rescues. When I first read this, I thought I wanted it to be this beautiful picture of God saving a remnant. Like there's destruction coming, but he's going to save a a remnant. But it's actually the opposite of that. In Exodus 10, the law talks about if, if you are taking care of someone else's animal and that animal gets destroyed by beasts, you are required to take a piece of whatever's left to show the owner that it is in fact destroyed. So this corner of a couch and part of a bed, is this is, this is the only proof that Israel ever even existed. So this is not what I hoped it would be. Um, this is all that's left. And then we move from, oh, hold on. All right. So verses 13 through 15 describe the destruction uh, he will punish the altars of Beth- Bethel, their places of worship. He will cut off the horns of the altar. Though he'll destroy their winter houses and summer houses, basically their regular houses and their vacation houses. And the just beautiful ivory houses will perish, and the great houses will fall. And then we go on to chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, which is another uh, accusation and then another pronouncement of judgment more of the lion roaring. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take away with hooks, take you away with hooks, 
even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast into Harmon, declares the Lord. So, at the first uh, chapter, or verse one here, he's speaking to women, wives, because it says husbands, bring the women to drink. Um, and he calls them cows of Bashan. I thought it was Bashan, but Bashan. Thank you, Nathan, for that. I like the way Bashan sounds. It's like bash. I don't know. But anyway, uh, cows of Bashan is uh, reference. Bashan is uh, a land that they would have known. It's a fertile land, and the cattle were well fed. And so they were rather large, so he's just calling them large cows. And, uh, and then the mountain of Samaria implies a place of power, prominence, luxury. And then they're saying, bring that we may drink. So they're at ease. They're just living the life of luxury, uh, watching TV all day, being lazy. And um, hooks, so moves from that into what's going to happen. So we their position of pride and power is going to be turned to humiliation. They're going to be drawn away with fish hooks. Like that, that's pretty humiliating. And then they're going to go out through the breaches of the wall as if the wall is so devastated that you can just walk out any direction because there's nothing there anymore. So this is a complete destruction. And then in verse 4 through 5, he kind of predicts what the people's response might be where they might go to try to get some kind of escape from this, um, kind of preempts their response and then flips it on its head like he does. He says, Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, offer a sacrifice, thanksgiving, uh, that which is leavened, proclaim freewill offerings, publish them, for so you love to do. So here I see two things happening. He's connecting their injustice and their inaccurate assumptions about God's favor on them with their worship. Their worship is ineffective because of their injustice. And then the second thing is that Amos is giving them an opportunity to see that God's judgment is not going to be turned away by more religious activity, by more sacrifices. So again, how would an Israelite finish this sentence? Come to Bethel a place of worship and worship, right? And again, he, he, that's not what he says. He says, come and transgress, almost as if he's saying, just come and, and keep piling up wrath. You're going to come, but it's going to be more sin, more transgression against God. And he does eventually tell them what they should do, the right response, but this is not, this is not the response. And here is an application that I'll touch on again at the end is that we can be very excited about all our prosperity and the things that we have, and we can even be thankful for them. But our hearts can still be far from God. All right, and then we're going to move to verse 6, which I think gives more context to chapter 3, verse 6, which says, disaster comes from the hand of the Lord. Uh, it doesn't say that. The, this is, is the city destroyed and the Lord hasn't done it? Um, so here are some examples that he gives of how God did bring destruction and they're followed by you did not return to me. So 6 through 11, he gave them famine. He says, I brought 
famine, with cleanness of teeth, you did not return to me. I brought drought, withheld rain. You would chase the water around from city to city and wouldn't be able to catch it, and you did not return to me. I gave you blight and mildew, locusts. You did not return to me. I sent pestilence. I killed your young men. This made the stench of your camp unbearable, and you did not return to me. I overthrew some of you, as I did similar to how I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you didn't return to me. So two things I see here is the destruction. I've got slides for this. Yeah. Um, That destruction serves to draw God's people away from their sin, luxury, and idols back to him. And that's still true for us. We shouldn't be quick to dismiss calamity or disaster, destruction on a large scale, but then bring that down to a, a closer internal like hardship in our lives, suffering. Not quick to dismiss that as just an effect of the fall. That we should take it as an opportunity to reflect, to remember who God is, what he said about himself, and then examine our hearts and see if we are making wrong, wrong assumptions about who God is, about our response and how, what our lives should look like. Have we, and ask ourselves if we've made a version of what we think God wants from us that is more, uh, coincides better with the kind of lives we want to live. And then the second thing I see is, is a question So he says, yet you did not return to me. So the question would be, what does the Lord mean by return to me? Because if it meant come and offer more sacrifices, come to Bethel and worship, then they wouldn't be in this situation. They wouldn't be facing the same judgments that Israel had faced in the past. And we're going to move to verse 12. It says, therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because because I will do this, prepare to meet your God. So because I, I, I did those things to Israel before and they didn't turn, you still haven't turned, therefore you will face punishment. And he says, prepare to meet your God. And this is something, again, like Dan said last week, they thought they wanted. They were looking for the day of the Lord. But it's not the, the visitation that they had hoped for. He's coming in judgment because they made wrong assumptions. And then verse 3, verse 13, quotes a hymn of Israel. It's a hymn that they probably would have used in their worship ceremonies. But again, it's flipped because it's, it's speaking of this God, this mighty God, who is coming in judgment against them. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. So prepare to meet your God. Behold him. Again, it's turned on its head because of the the indictment against them. It's almost as if he's saying, if you have doubt of God's decisions, his discernment of your ways, remember that he holds creation in his power. And he knows the thoughts and hearts and intentions of those 
whom he brings calamity. So a few takeaways from this hymn is that God is just. He sees our heart. He knows our thoughts. And if the out, so as I said earlier, if the outward acts of Israel that Ashdod and Egypt saw weren't enough, God sees their thoughts. And the third thing is that he is mighty and no one can escape his justice. So that is Amos 3 through 4. Um, kind of a downer as we, and it's going to keep going as we go through the Minor Prophets, but um, we can be quick to jump to where is the, the next passage of mercy or hope or uh, example of God, like I wanted the passage about remnant, like God's going to save a remnant, or uh, where God says he might turn away from his wrath. We want to be quick to try to find those, but, but these chapters really are good for us to ponder. We need chapters like this because they're part of who God is, explaining who God is and what he wants from his people. And to know that we can experience all of the, what seems like blessing, but still be rebelling against God and rejecting the heart that he's called us to, which is the heart of love for neighbor and for him. So I think our response today would be to examine ourselves. We can be very excited about all of our prosperity, even thankful to God, but our hearts can be far away. And on a material level, like the things that we own or, you know, their material level, a couple of questions we could maybe start asking ourselves would be, what really had to happen in order for me to have this possession or this luxury or this comfort? Another question, how might I be unknowingly participating in injustice by what I consume? And then make decisions based on the answers to those questions. But more than that, uh, I think we should ask ourselves, and I've got this slide up here for it, is do I find comfort and rest in belonging to God through the life of Jesus? Or am I really finding comfort in what could be false assumptions about who God is and the kind of person he's called me to be. When we're honest with God and we confess that our thoughts and actions are not in line with who he says he is, the solution is simple. Um, and I, I said that we're quick to jump to next chapters or whatever, but in chapter five, it says uh, God offers a solution. Um, sorry, Tim. But uh, he says, turn to me and live. Um, but as I said, there is mercy here in these chapters. As the pro in prophecy, like I said earlier, uh, in the lion's roar, it's a, not only a pronouncement of judgment. Um, this, the declaration of God through the prophets carries the reason for the coming judgment so from God's perspective, and also a warning that is meant to shake the people out of their delusion. So destruction is coming, but the lion's roar carries an offer of return to him. The gospel is the fullest, uh, the fullest revelation of God's word, of what he would say to us, which is amazing that we get to look at the minor prophets 
knowing uh, who Jesus is and, and, and being on this side of his, his work. And um, so the gospel is a revelation of God, the lion's roar. Our sin is the pronouncement of judgment, and death is the action of that judgment. But Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, came to declare rescue from our sin and our judgment. And he actually became our sin, and he took our judgment. Then he rose from the dead to show that he had defeated our enemy, which is sin and death. And when we believe, he gives us the new hearts that are actually capable of following him and doing the things that please him and line up with the kind of justice he's shown us in these chapters today. Jesus offers the true rescue. And it's not through sacrifice. It's not through religion or even good, good works. But it's through Jesus himself. And then he calls us to deliver that message by, by our, our actions that are just and um, hearts that seek to do what he wants us to do but also in our declaring the rescue to those who are facing this judgment and uh, this um, pronouncement. So we, in a way, we become prophets who declare the, the roar of God, but we get to declare you know, the full revelation of the gospel. So thankful for that. Um, thankful to be able to bring this today, and um, let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the revelation of who you are. Thank you that we aren't left to to wonder if you're going to bring a, a rescue that will be complete. Um, we don't have to wonder if we're, like Israel, just going to keep falling into sin over and over again and forgetting you and thinking that we have it figured out when we don't. Thank you that you have revealed all, all that we need to know about you through Jesus, through what he taught us, through the work that he did, through his, his life and his death and his resurrection. Thank you for purchasing us from our rebellion and bringing us into your family. And pray that we would... Um, that your spirit would help us to examine our hearts and see where we, we have made false assumptions and made up a version um, of, of who you are and, and the way that we're living that, that fits with what we like and uh, what's comfortable. And God, thank you that, that you've given us a spirit, that it isn't a hopeless thing, that we're not left alone, and that you've promised that, our, that your spirit will change us, that, that be, belonging to you through um, becoming united with Jesus and his death and his life makes us actually, it gives us hope that we really can be changed into the people that uh, reflect who you are and please you. And we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray that your spirit would, would help this to sink into our hearts today. We love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.